Hey, this is Jeff Pullen, and you are listening to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2021 podcast. Another day, another 5K. I hope that by now you have found a bit of a routine and that you are feeling the joy of knowing that you are well on your way to accomplishing a pretty amazing challenge. Let's go ahead and get today's podcast started with a song from Poland Band called I Am History.
If you're in the Worcester, Ohio area and you don't already have plans for your Saturday 5K, why not plan to join us in Mount Hope, Ohio for the Go Eddy 5K? The race starts at 4 p.m. and it will be followed by a community concert event. As if that wasn't already great enough, just wait, there's more! Better Life Coffee will be at the event serving their piping hot delicious coffee and that is definitely something that you do not want to miss. Speaking of Better Life Coffee, we have Joe Heatwell on the podcast with us today, helping us to get a closer look at Mark chapter 9. So let's jump into the daily Bible reading, and we'll look forward to hearing what he has to share with us. Chapter 9. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Then they asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures predicted. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever his spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to him, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, Since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and save us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the evil spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead! But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind can only be cast out by prayer. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. 
After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer, because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with one another. To help us unpack this chapter, let's hear from a good buddy of mine, Joe Heatwell. All right, so I have the pleasure of sitting down here with Joe Heatwell. Joe, good friend of mine, great dude, pastor, guy who runs Better Life Coffee, just an all-around great guy, and my personal favorite person to run 5K Mayhem with, because you are just killing it last year. Every time you came in from a lap in 5K Mayhem, you just sit down, through the towel over your head, and I'm like, uh-oh, Joe's dead. But up from the grave, he arose and every lap, you just went back out there and you finished it. Joe, thanks for spending time with me. And uh, can you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed. Actually, I really enjoy listening to your podcast as well. And I'm just glad that I give you some comedic relief while you're running the mayhem. So yeah, a little bit about me. I'm a bivocational pastor. I'm assistant pastor at Christian Life Church in Beach City. I also work selling commercial furniture. And my wife and I have a nonprofit called Better Life Coffee, uh, where the goal of that is to help kids basically all around the world in different areas of service, whether it's kids that need things for that are disadvantaged kids, kids that need help with mentoring. We try to provide a service there by, by selling coffee and then taking the proceeds and helping kids out. So we have a school down in Nicaragua that we support as well as some local ministries up here. And we also... Um, uh, support Jeff Polo Ministry, which is, you know, in a way does help kids out as well through singing and, and being a musicianary. And I have, I'm a husband, dad, I have four kids. And this year we're actually all running 5K in May. So that's kind of fun. We're all getting out there and doing it. Kudos to my wife. I think she does more there because she kind of helps all the kids go out and gets them running, gets their paces in. Now you mentioned Better Life Coffee, and I want to talk about this a little bit because you approached me and you wanted to be a part of the 5K Every Day in the Month of May Challenge with Better Life Coffee. That sounded like a great partnership to me. Why did you want to be a part of this challenge through Better Life Coffee? It touched me in a couple different ways. For one, I enjoy running. Well, I can't say really I enjoy running. I like the challenge of running, and I think coffee is a good fit there where people, you know, caffeine is a great stimulant to get you out and get running. 
But we also, the other thing that we like to is I, I, I really like partnering with your ministry. And I think it gets, it gets our name out there and it gets our group of people that drink coffee knowing about who Jeff Pullen is, what the ministry is and how they can get involved. So I, I like kind of that dual aspect of it. I just really like what's happening there with kind of spreading the word with Better Life Coffee and also Jeff Pullen just kind of coming together with that. Now, you've been running this challenge for the last couple of years. Your family's been a part of this challenge. We're getting into the midway point here. And I'm just wondering, can you offer a quick encouragement to the amazing people who are participating in this epic 5K May 2021 challenge? The hardest thing usually for me with uh, the 5K is actually the mental aspect is getting out there and, you know, you swing your legs over the edge of your bed and you said, okay, man, I got to go out and run this 5K. We all are so busy. And the thing that I've noticed is like, I have to intentionally carve out time to do it. I remember, I think it was about two years ago, I was running the challenge and I had this crazy day planned out. I was flying up to Minnesota. I had a flight out of Cleveland, I think at 5 a.m. So I got up at 3 a.m., had meetings all day and I was driving to my hotel and all of a sudden it dawned to me, I haven't ran my 5k yet. I think it was around 11 o'clock at night. I pull into this hotel quick checked in, rushed up to my room. I was like putting on shorts and stuff and I'm like running laps around the hotel. So it's maybe the concept of intentionality where you get out and you have to do it. And it just, it actually encouraged me because not only was it out there running, but the reading of the word that goes along with it, you know, like, I think we have to be intentional. God wants us to be intentional with everything that we do. And this is a great way to form discipline. And I thought, you know what, man, if I can do it on a day like that, it doesn't matter. Snow, sleet, hail, you know, tornadoes, you can get it out there and run it. I feel like I've been in a couple of tornadoes myself. (laughs) Usually I didn't plan to, they just kind of pop up, you know, but anyway, that's not recommended. That's a public service announcement. Don't run in tornadoes. Okay, good. Now you also are a pastor. And so you're going to help us See something here from Mark 9, and I can't wait for you to share that. So go ahead and show us what has the Lord been showing you here in Mark 9. When I was reading through uh, Mark chapter 9, and and this is another thing that I love about the 5K May Challenge, is that sometimes I don't always read the Bible like I should on a consistent basis. Sometimes I kind of like, you know, I let whatever's happening in my life kind of drag me down a little bit. And it's like, okay, it's something that's easy to push off. But it, it takes time to sit down and read three chapters a day. And when I was reading through Mark chapter nine here, there was a verse that really jumped out to me. It was talking about this greatness, who's greatest in the kingdom of God. I, I like this verse because it says here, he sat down, he called the disciples and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken them in his arms, he said to him, whoever receives one of these little children, in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, he receives not me, but him who sent me. This whole dialogue with his disciples started because these guys were walking down the road and Jesus had asked them a question. He said, you know, while we're walking down the road, what what were you guys talking about back there? They all kept silent, says, because they had been talking about who's going to be the greatest. And I think they had this sense of maybe embarrassed shame or silence because they were in their hearts are thinking, okay, who's going to be the greatest? I actually like the fact that the disciples didn't answer right away, because I think the message of Jesus was kind of sinking into their hearts where he was saying, you know what? You got to not think about yourself so much. You got to be thinking of others. Jesus had this really posture of teaching. You know, he sat down and called them to him and said, you know what? Let's talk about this here. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and a servant of all. And so he gave this completely different concept. 
in Jewish culture, there was a lot of posturing when it came to sitting down at a meal, who is going to be the most important sat at the head of the table, the servants who are going to be serving someone, they were like doing the dirty work, they were serving the food, they were washing the feet. And so I think this concept was kind of unique that Jesus was starting us here. It was a servant leadership type concept. And he could have answered the question. I think Jesus could have said, hey, dummies, you know, like I am the greatest, you know, it's me. But instead he focused and he put forth this last and servant mentality. And of course, Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom. So when he said last and servant, he was actually describing himself because that was his nature. He was truly the first, but he made him last and servant for all. It actually reminded me of this story that I heard in ancient China where it was really fashionable for these wealthy men to grow their fingers really long. And the longer they grew their fingers, it made them so that they were unable to perform basic tasks, but it became this status symbol because it demonstrated that they didn't have to do anything for themselves. There was somebody else that could do it for them. And so they would always have this servant that would wait on them. The world may think of this as greatness, but God doesn't really think that. Jesus declared that he said, true greatness is not shown by how many people serve you, but how many people you actually serve. And I think Jesus wasn't really trying to like abolish ambition. Sometimes that kind of gets part of the concept, but he wanted to kind of recreate it. And he wanted to substitute ambition with the desire to serve. He said, you know what? I don't want you to just be an ambitious person, but I want you to be able to take that and direct it towards serving others. And then Jesus did this really incredible illustration. Like he took this child and, and he set him on his lap. And, and I didn't really understand this concept. I kind of looked it up a little bit like, well, why would he take a child and set him down in his lap? And in today's age, you know, politicians, you know, they're kissing babies and they're doing stuff. There's like this big political thing because it looks good. And, and in Jesus' day, children were actually kind of a second-class citizen. They weren't really esteemed. They were actually regarded more as property than individuals until they reached a certain age. So it was very uncommon what Jesus did here, right? He took a child and he sat him on his lap and he brought him in. And then he actually kind of blew their minds in it even more because he said, you know what? In order to get to heaven, you're going to have to become like this child. And he said, whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. So what is Jesus trying to say here? He was saying, you know, once you become like a child, you become last and you become a servant of all because that's when... When we honor and receive a child or someone who is a servant like Jesus, we actually honor and receive Jesus himself. And I really like that concept because it's just this uh, so selfless. Like Philippians, I think it's in Philippians 2, 3 says, we're not supposed to be selfish or conceited, uh, but we're supposed to be humble and prefer others above ourselves. In society, that just doesn't really flow well. We don't have this really a problem with a positive self-image. The problem that we usually have is that we think of ourselves too much and we think of others too little. And Jesus was trying to like reverse that. How do I as a person actually start to think of myself less? What does that look like as a practical illustration? You know, like how do I do that? I think about it as, as kind of probably a bit of a time management thing where I need to like actually manage my time better, being more intentional with others and not saying, you know what, I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to look for the recognition. But I'm, I'm willing to like defer that to someone else. And it's a concept that's it's tough. It takes a lot of work, takes intentionality where you have to think about, okay, do I want to take the credit for this or am I willing to let someone else take credit for things? This verse has really been a challenge to me. And it's one that I, I try to like kind of focus on. Do I want to get recognition for something or am I willing to like have other people get recognized? Good word. Good challenge from Joe and Jesus. 
I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Joe, and thank you to Better Life Coffee, helping kids and farmers by caffeinating runners and walkers one delicious cup at a time. Now let's go ahead and jump back into the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 10. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and just send her away. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again, and he told them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the child in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen. Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. 
but after three days he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. The Gospel of Mark moves so quickly, especially when we are reading three chapters per day. It just seems to fly by. Now, we just started the Gospel of Mark, and by the time that we get here in Mark 10, Chronologically speaking, we are only about 10 days out from Jesus being on the cross. As Jesus was moving through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem where he will be crucified, there is a crowd all around him, yet he is able to hear a blind man calling out to him. Here's how that situation is described in verses 46 through 47. It says, They reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Though the people were trying to keep him quiet, the blind man would not be deterred. He desperately wanted to be heard by Jesus, and it worked. He was heard, and he was called forward. Here's how Mark describes that situation. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. That's Mark 10, verses 48 through 52. I love the words that define this man's actions. When Jesus called him, he threw off his cloak and sprang up. Can you sense the urgency in these phrases? And then he came to Jesus. This man may have been blind, but somehow he was able to see better than I can at times. He was able to see his deep need for Jesus. He was able to see that Jesus alone is worth calling out to even when others tell you to be quiet. He was able to see that quick obedience is always best. Oh, that I may see as well as blind Bartimaeus.
Before we move on, let's take a moment to consider some of the key phrases and questions within this passage. Perhaps God would have something specific to show us as we consider the words within this interaction. The first statement here is, be quiet. Many of the people were yelling at this man to be quiet. This doesn't surprise me at all. One thing that I have found throughout the years is that the more vocal you are willing to be about Jesus or the more you are trying to get to Jesus, the more people, it seems, will be there to tell you, be quiet. But their yelling didn't stop this man. He only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. It is interesting that the man appeals to Jesus based on who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, the long foretold and coming king. In his blindness, he could see this truth that so many with two good eyes miss right in front of their faces. Not only is Bartimaeus honest and accurate about who Jesus is, but he is also honest and accurate about who he is. Have mercy on me. He is a man in need of mercy. Do we realize this truth about ourselves? When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. When we hear our friends crying out for mercy, where do we tell them to go? If we tell them to go anywhere but to Jesus, we are doing them a great disservice. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Now it's unclear in this passage who is actually speaking. Was it the people who were previously yelling at him to be quiet? Was it the disciples of Jesus? We're not completely sure. However, we can be sure of a few things here. First, regardless of your circumstances, the advice to cheer up is good. Why be downcast? If God is for you, who could be against you? What could separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. So why not cheer up? He's calling you. Truer words have never been spoken. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, Jesus is calling you. Like Bartimaeus, you can respond by running to him with all that you are. But let's not miss this little phrase in the middle. Come on. Whoever is talking here, you get the impression that they are going with Bartimaeus. Sometimes it's not enough to tell people to cheer up. Sometimes it's not enough to point out that Jesus is calling out to them. Sometimes, if we're going to see people come to Jesus and receive the mercy that they are longing for, we will have to be willing to go with them to Jesus. Coming face to face with Jesus, the blind man hears the son of David ask this simple question. What do you want me to do for you? What a bizarre question. I mean, isn't it obvious? But here's the thing. Jesus already knows what you want, what you need. But in so many circumstances, he is waiting and giving you the dignity to speak it out for yourself. If Jesus were with you right now, wherever you are, and he asked, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? Do you even know? The truth is that he is right there with you right now, wherever you are. And I believe that he is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? So many times we have not because we ask not. So go ahead, share your heart with him. He is able to do abundantly more than you could ever think of or dream of. I'm not saying that he will absolutely grant your request, no matter what it is, like some cosmic genie bound on oath to grant any and all requests. But I am saying that he is a personal savior who really cares about the intimate details of your life. That thing that you want him to do for you, he may want that exact same thing for you too. At the very least, he wants to hear you speak it out. Maybe he has a good reason for not granting that request. Or maybe he is just waiting for you to ask so he can blow you away with his infinite goodness. Bartimaeus did not hesitate to answer the question. I want to see, he said. Without a magic word, without any indication of physical action or touch or spit in the eyeballs or washing in a pool, Jesus granted the honest request. Go, 
for your faith has healed you, Jesus says. This may seem like a big thing to us. I mean, how do you go about healing physical blindness? It seems impossible to me, but there are no big things or little things to God. There are only things. He cares about things. And the things he seems to care most about are us, people, his children, his lost sheep. Now, I don't know for sure what happened to Bartimaeus after this interaction. All we know for sure is that his faith in the fact that Jesus could heal him was a key factor in his being healed. We also know that Jesus told him to go, and following his instant healing, he followed Jesus down the road. I'm only guessing here, but it's an educated guess because Bartimaeus' story sounds an awful lot like my story. I'm guessing that Bartimaeus continued to follow Jesus even long after Jesus died on the cross to purchase complete healing for Bartimaeus and for us, by the way. Now, I'm guessing that Bartimaeus took that word go to heart, continuing to share with Jesus what he wanted Jesus to do for him and refusing to keep quiet, but shouting all the more loudly to anyone who would listen and to those who wouldn't listen about who Jesus, the son of David, really was. Chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around at everything carefully, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with his twelve disciples. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Again they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven 
Or was it merely human? You answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. And they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? That's Mark 11, verses 27 through 28. If only they truly desired to know the answer to their own question. They could have seen God for who he really is and put their faith in Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Clearly, by their own admission, they had witnessed what he had done. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching. They were not ignorant of his work. So how did they miss him? I love what C.S. Lewis once said about Jesus. This is an excerpt from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis was right. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Forget about the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders for a moment. What about you? Are you willing to listen to him? Are you willing to accept that he is who he says he is? To you personally, is Jesus a liar or a lunatic, or do you recognize and treat him as Lord? I sure hope that you recognize Jesus is Lord. To be honest, whether you recognize it or not, it doesn't change the fact. Recognition of the fact only helps you to line up your life with the truth and to live in the benefit of knowing that Jesus is the Lord of all. If you're not living in that reality, today could be the day that you ask Jesus to reveal this truth to you. The good Lord knows we could all use a healthy dose of truth these days. And with that, let's send you out with the first song I ever wrote and recorded for Poland Band. Here is Deliver Me. God be the light unto my feet. Don't let the night devour me because I am yours completely. God be my light, deliver You are the key 
and evermore When I fall down before your throne In heaven I will be Highest praise, honor, and love belong to you for all you've done. For you have sent your only Son to conquer sin. God be my life.